0: Okay, welcome to another live session by dailystraits.com. We have a very interesting topic to discuss today with two esteemed entrepreneurs from both sides of the Tasman, Australia and New Zealand, on tips and tricks of selling new and unknown products to the world, or rather creating a market for it. So first things first, let's introduce you to our guest today, starting with Australia's Kate Lalak, who is a writer, a business strategist, and a business owner. Kate is the founder and CEO of Cloud9 Global, which is a corporate gifting agency based in Sydney, Australia. Next, I'd like to introduce you to the, uh, our guest from Auckland, New Zealand, Lucy Wildman, who, is, who founded her children's fashion brand, Little Flock of Horrors, after her son suffered seizures as a baby. Lucy's story is a reminder that often life events are the catalyst leading to great business ideas. Both of our guests today will be talking about how they managed to get a market for their products when no one knew of it, with each guest providing tips and tricks in their respective countries. So hi ladies, thanks for joining us today. Lucy and Kate, um, how are you both today? Great, thank you. Hi from Auckland. And hello from Sydney, I'm doing work. Thank you. Awesome. Okay. So, Kate, we will start with you. After leaving your corporate job that you held, for, uh, held on for 17 years, why did you decide on selling corporate gifts? Uh, also, right, did you do any sort of market research before you decided to dabble into that business?
1: Yes. Market research was absolutely key because it was a huge risk. I mean, I had a nice, safe, cushy corporate job. Um, but I didn't have a lot of control over things and I really wanted to have ownership of something sort of from start to finish. So I needed to be fairly certain, as best you can be when you start a business, um, that there was going to be, that the ideas that I had were actually going to get some traction in the market. So there are a lot of tools available for people that are starting to have, a lot of people have got ideas and don't really know whether it's it's going to be a thing. Um, and there are a lot of tools out there and, and websites Um, like SEMrush that you can go and look at terms that people are searching for and it will give you an idea of what sort of demand there might be for the product that you're looking at, at launching. So I think it's a crucial first step for anyone.
0: Awesome. Next, Lucy, let's talk about your business, which was founded based on your son's seizure. After stitching a complete wardrobe of clothing for your son to remedy his condition, What made you decide to want to turn the whole idea into into a full-fledged business? Look, I think
2: we saw a market opportunity that wasn't being fulfilled with current brands. A lot of the, my son is now almost 13. So 13 years ago, there wasn't a lot of fun, quirky kind of fashion in the merino space. Uh, Definitely in children's clothing, there was, but not in that specialist merino fabric. So we decided to take that over to Merino and make really cool, uh, cool styles that adults wanted to put on their babies that were that would sit seamlessly with other styles in their wardrobes. Um, so yeah, we saw something, we saw a
0: gap in, in the market, and just decided to jump in and do it. Awesome. Okay, so Kate, um, how did you go about sourcing products for your gift? agency business and i wondered if you used a uh, virtual assistance or did you do everything by yourself from uh at the first well, from the get-go uh yes i did everything myself actually.
1: Um, and, and I think it's sort of the idea came together as I was doing the research and doing that, that sort of searching. But um, it, for me, it was about being very hands-on. And it was we had a very clear vision of what we wanted the brand to stand for. Um, and now we only source 100% of our products and packaging come from Australian businesses. So that already narrows down our suppliers. We're huge on sustainability. That further narrows down our suppliers because we're looking for people that sort of share our passion and our pillars that we stand for. Um, I go to a lot of trade shows. You'd be amazed how many suppliers you can find. And particularly often at a trade show, the owner of the brand will be working on their own stall. So you get to hear the story behind why someone created a candle brand, or like Lucy, a lot of the time people have an issue, or they can't find something in the market, so they go and create it themselves. So some of my favourite suppliers that we use in our gifts are those sort of small, smallish. You know, even by small business, they might be turning over two million a year. Um, but there's a lot of passion behind what they're doing and we love supporting locals. So um, Instagram, I also find a lot of people. So online research, they're they're sort of really good tools, I think, that people can use to find suppliers.
0: Awesome. Lucy, after um, deciding to go all out in your clothing business, what was the first thing you did in terms of marketing and getting the word out to the masses? Did you do everything by yourself in the beginning or did you hire professional help from the get-go?
2: Just, Just like Kate said, so we went to a couple of trade shows. So our focus initially on the business was exporting to America. So we decided to go to some key uh, baby and kid trade shows over there to introduce ourselves to that market, which was really effective. um, It is amazing how many people you do meet at these trade shows. It's just as important though from attendance to actually be following up with people too. It's it's one thing just to meet people, for me to meet Kate at a trade show, but then I also need to make sure that I do that follow up, which is just as important. We also um, did a Kickstarter campaign many years ago before Kickstarter was actually even in New Zealand. We did an American one because my husband's American. So that was a great way to raise marketing and awareness of our brand. Um, It was just a way to kind of legitimize our business in a way and to take it from that concept to actual brand and idea um, to making the clothes, which was good. Um, The thing that we did find probably after nine months after we really started, we did get a PR um, agency involved. And that was great because it actually legitimized our brand, but also really secured our branding, um, messaging, our position, what we stood for on the market. Um, it really helped us just to narrow down all of these kind of ideas to one you know, key paragraph of what we stood for, yeah.
0: So what about you, Kate? How did you market your corporate gifting products to corporate companies in Australia? Was there a lot of cold callings uh, and uh, done by yourself? Or did you hire like professionals to do the job? Um, I'd like to consider myself a professional (laughs) after 17
1: years in sales and marketing. Um, For us, our strategy really very quickly switched from being B2C to B2B. And I think they're quite different in terms of how you grow your audience. So B2C, I think marketing is crucial in terms of sort of building your brand and connecting with people on social media and things like that. To me, B2B is more sales-based. Um, And you still need people to buy into a brand, but um, corporates are looking for a different solution um, and sort of the way you position it. So there's a lot of networking. I think networking is one of the best things you can do in any business. So whether you join networking groups, networking, there's a lot of them um, moved to being online during the last two years, which actually made it much easier to do them. You didn't have to trek into the city and, lose a couple of hours on either side, you just jumped on a call and an hour later you're done networking. So I've met amazing contacts from doing things like that, like business checks and things like that. Um, and just getting on the phone i mean now you can go and make people for a coffee but otherwise people are doing a lot of virtual coffee still um and i think it's really about explaining your story and getting your story across to people and i think no one does that better than the brand owner and and you know you're very passionate when you talk i'm very passionate when i talk about gifting and and i love my suppliers i love getting their products into our gifts so um i think that that is very powerful but you do get to a point where if you want to scale you may need to look at outsourcing and getting some extra help and like lucy said a publicist is a great idea because they they know how to sort of condense your story they've got the contacts they can give you some briefings on when you do interviews but you have to have a story to tell so you know pr is not there to sell your product that's what marketing and advertising is for pr is there to tell your brand story or you know, something else that needs to be there behind it. So I think that's how you can sort of choose between whether sales, marketing or PR, which one's your biggest focus, but you need all of them, I think, to be successful.
0: So uh, the next question is for both of you. Um, I actually wanted to just talk about publicists because when you're an entrepreneur, especially a first time small um, budget entrepreneur, you tend to uh, sting a lot on hiring um, external help. So um, is hiring a professional publicist important for any small businesses from the get-go or do you need to just wait, wait wait, for it for certain months to pass before you hire someone? So I'll start with you, Kate. I think um, we did some early
1: PR and I think if I had my time again, and there's a number of things I would do again, but I guess that's how you learn things over the last four years I've learned, we probably went a bit too early committing to PR, and we haven't we hadn't differentiated ourselves enough at that point. Um, and it did probably make it a huge challenge for the PR agencies we were working with to find that unique story to pitch in. Whereas now we have differentiated ourselves a lot more. Um, and also with my consulting business, the topics that I talk on there, that's what it really comes down to. I think if you've got something to say that's different and that that will get the media's attention and will be of interest to people, it's much easier to get those media interviews or you know podcast opportunities or to be able to write um, op-ed pieces and things like that. So I think that's it. that doesn't necessarily come down to timing. that comes down to at what point you've got that that point of differentiation, which would be where I press the button. And and I would definitely, I think getting a professional publicist is a great idea
0: um, w- when you're ready for them. Okay, so Australia, in Australia, publicists are really expensive. <laughs> it's uh, super expensive. So, Kate, you, uh, sorry, Lucy, you mentioned you went in after the nine-month mark. Mm-hmm. So what was the thinking behind that?
2: Uh, I think it was a greater strategy um, position and that we really needed to get the word out and not just in magazines. For example, I think people think that PR is just, you know, getting in the... Um, in the you know, weekly magazine or you know the weekly paper or whatever it is. It's actually touching so many other um, other touch points and other um, you know publications and you know as Kate said podcasts and things so you actually want to have those touch points that are not just one thing it's across the board so that one person that listens to a podcast for example hears you and then they may see something in the newspaper or it's having those um, that those multiple things that I think is really important. Um, it is one of those things too, where I, I'm not a publicist. Um, you know, obviously I I make clothes, so for me to go and try to do the job of um, of a publicist or a PR agency, I just couldn't. I would have to dedicate so many hours of every week to it, and it's that it is that thing where is it cost benefit? You know, I think perhaps for us we did get a lot of PR, uh, a lot of kind of um, talk around our brand at that time, but. Scalability is also something that people need to think about. It's all well and good getting the press, but then if people are going to your website, do you have a full collection? Is your collection even out? Things that, like that that need to be considered, and, and timing of when the press is going to come out, and things like that that seem to be not not so important or something that you wouldn't think about, but that are actually really important.
0: Awesome. Okay, so some small businesses have a hard time spending any money on marketing and prefer to do everything by themselves, resulting in them being burnt out. With some also ending their business or startups prematurely. What advice do you have for these entrepreneurs? So let's start with you first, Lucy.
2: I think when it comes to uh, PR, for example, you really need to prioritize what do you want to get out of it. And if it's something that you can't do yourself, or that you don't have a staff member on team that can do, find the money, even if it's not, um, you know, if it's not the highest uh, level of PR effort, then just find something with somebody that can help you. Because Otherwise, you, you know, with me, for example, I only do one a seasonal range a year, so that releases in March. So I need to make sure that I've got some press around my launch, maybe even, you know, pre-season as well, because if I don't jump on it, then the opportunity is gone until the next year. And you also have to think, too, that it's, it's forward planned as well. So it's not just a matter of a PR agency reaching out, you know, to magazines in February. All of it is, you know, six months backdated. So all of those considerations need to be taken into um, you know into effect and, and having a really solid calendar of what your marketing efforts are going to be and how you see PR being able to contribute
0: to those. Awesome. What about you, kids? So entrepreneurs who don't want to spend money, what do you have? What, what kind of advice do you have for them?
1: I think my advice to people would be to walk before you run. I think a lot of the time people come into a business and think they suddenly need to have an enormous range of products or services available from day one um, and I think they put themselves under a lot of pressure then, um, feeling like they need to do all of that. I would advise that people start smaller and make sure that you get your range right and, and take all those steps and uh, you know do the things that you need to do to make sure that you're speaking to a particular audience and you're quite clear on what that is because sometimes if you go too broad a range and you're speaking to too many different people, the marketing becomes very complex. Whereas if you bring out a smaller range of maybe, you, know, you, you still need to have enough products that there's some variety when people come to your website, you don't want two products on there, but maybe go with half a dozen or 10 products instead of thinking you need to start with 50 and be really clear on who you're marketing those products to Get that range up and running. Get some great testimonials. Get some good reviews going, and get the traction. And then start expanding out, and then expanding your marketing with the range.
0: Awesome. So, um, give us five steps that you took to get customers to get to know your, to get to know and buy your product when we when it was relatively unknown. Uh, so, Kate, let's start with you. Um, so, education was a really important thing for us in terms of
1: um, explaining to people why we're different and why you would. To do your gifts with us over one of our competitors. I mean, one of our biggest competitors are sort of hamper companies, but I hate being compared to a hamper company because we're much more personalised. Uh, but you need to explain those things to people. People don't have a lot of time to make a decision, especially corporates. They they sort of have their go to to suppliers. So if you want someone to switch from buying from uh, you know whoever they usually buy their products from to you, you need to give them a good reason for doing it. Um, a really good thing for us was sending out samples. Um, So we made much smaller um, little gifts um, and it's a great way to get someone's attention. So you send that out to a prospective um, customer and then follow it up with a phone call. But make sure you include some good collateral, a handwritten card. So and the thing about gifting is people love getting gifts. So Mm. if you give them that gift experience, you're then telling them the experience that they will be giving to someone else if they do their gifts through you. Um, So that that would be another way that that I would suggest that people do it. Um, I would also say, like I said earlier, in terms of all of the, the networking um, and really getting involved yourself. So, yes, definitely you need to outsource certain things. But I think the more you're involved, the more you speak to people, the more you communicate things about your brand, the better. So that, that would be some of my advice.
0: Awesome. What about you, Lucy? Because your product was absolutely new. It was um in you something that you created. So how did you get the word out?
2: Yeah, we attended, as I mentioned before, we attended trade shows. So that made us our uh, first and foremost in front of the buyers, which was important. Um, obviously, that's a B two B strategy. We then did uh, the Kickstarter campaign that I told you about. So that was more of a B two C effort. Um, we. Went to specialized markets. So went to like um, new mum and baby markets. So we sold, you know, some seconds and some samples to get for us our journey. We really want to make sure that we're with the baby from birth all the way up to eight to nine years. So it's important for us to really capture that mum when she's just about to have her baby. So by going to these markets and t- talking to them about the benefits of Merino and how babies should, you know, all babies should be growing Merino, that was really important. Uh, we also did some pop-ups in towns or in places where we didn't have any representation or not so much. Uh, that was something that, um, you know, uh, my husband and myself and our staff went. So, you know, to Kate's point about talking to the owner, we, we spoke to pretty much every customer that came in. And I think that um, especially nowadays, people, customers really do want to hear why you did what you did and how you did it. So that was really important for us as well. Um, And it also creates, you know, the customer wants to know, oh, when are you coming to do another pop up? Are you coming back? Um, Another thing that we did for um, B2B was we did targeted mailers. So we identified a top 50 list of retailers that we really wanted Little Flock to be in. And so we sent um, not just emails, but, you know, to Kate's point about little packs, we sent, you know, little um, funny gifts or something to just um, bring awareness to what Little Flock was all about and then followed up with an email or a call um, and invited them to come and see us at trade shows and things like that. So it's kind of back again to that touch point is, you know, making sure that you're reaching different people in different ways.
0: Awesome. So do product reviews as a startup? Um, are they really important? So let's start with you, uh, Lucy. I think product reviews are important. I mean, if
2: you go to Google, um, for us we have a shop, so we have reviews on Google for that are linked to our shop. Those are really important because it gets people to come in the door. I think um, things that are just as important for us is word of mouth with um, new mums and um, and you know influences people that are recommending your product because they've used it. Um, the power of new mums is is quite amazing. Um, you know, you don't realize how much they, you know, they're going to have coffees and they have like little music groups and things. So if you can really impress a new mum with something that they want their baby to wear, um, it's pretty powerful. I would say more than a product review on Google or, you know, something else.
0: Awesome. What about you, Kate? Yeah, I think that's it's crucial, I think,
1: for people to give positive feedback. It's good and well to keep telling people how great your product is, but I think for other people to verify it is really important. Um, and we're very fortunate because we're gifting. We might have one person places an order for 250 event gifts, but then 250 people are then exposed to our product by receiving one of our gifts. Um, and we often then get a phone call from someone saying, oh, I received one of your gifts. I'd like to place an order for our next event. So every touch point that you have with people is an opportunity for for another sale. So I think having all those little personalised touches, um, it's it's a long process for us doing handwritten notes, especially if, you know, there's big orders. But it makes such a difference, I think, doing those little things that make you stand out and makes people remember you. um, And like Lucy said, you you know, people can see your stuff online. But if they've actually had a connection with you um, and engaged with your brand in some way, they're much more likely to remember you.
0: Awesome. So finally, right, uh, what is the best time to start promoting a product or a service? So at the pre launch, before the product or service is fully launched, or once it is completely launched? So the reason why I'm asking this question is that some people prefer not to promote their products too early as they fear that the comp- competitors might steal the idea. Uh, and, um, you know, but Some people, they need to do it to drum up, um, you know, sales or excitement. So, Kate, um, let's go with you first on this. So, how do you do it? yeah
1: we uh we actually spent a year researching um our our business was actually travel based initially so that that all fell apart obviously in march 2020 and we, we had a very very big pivot in terms of expanding our business out um but we spent a year actually putting together our first product in that time though you've got a business to run i'd invested a lot of money into the business um so we were still taking um ad hoc orders i was chatting to people a lot about the brand we started um we started with building a community um, and because we were b2c initially as well it's much easier to do so using social media um, and starting to communicate what's important to your brand I think you can do that without actually having a product to sell initially what you stand for the type of content that you put on there um, who you follow things like that so when you do launch you're actually launching to a ready-made community Mm. so I I do think that's important sometimes you need to balance it because at some point you need money to start coming in you can't keep researching for too long
0: all right, so, okay, for clothing, baby, uh, baby clothing, like children's clothing, right? There's a lot of competitors. So how do you do it, Lucy?
2: We have a cycle that we follow every year. So for example, in about two weeks, we will be having our winter 23 photo shoot. Uh, but it's, that range doesn't launch until next April. But what happens is we have we show all of our retailers that product in August and September. By that time, they've already they've had a look at everybody else, um, what everybody else is doing, and they can see how our range is going to fit in with theirs. Um, So B B2B, it's a much longer there's a much longer tail because because they've already seen the range. Then by the time it's March, they know what they've already ordered. Whereas B2C, it's a different approach because um, we can't be showing them our collection. First of all, the seasonality of it, right? But also, um, you know, you can't be teasing a product for eight months because it gets a bit boring. So we really start uh, pushing the winter range, probably end of January, it's still quite hot here, but we'll send out, you know, little teasers and little snapshots of, of perhaps prints or seasonal campaign imagery or things like that, just to get people really excited. We're lucky that we've been doing this for a while. That people do get excited about uh, when the new Little flock collection is going to come out. Um, I think if if it's your first range, it would be much harder to make, um, you know, to make a dent in the kind of busyness that is branding and collection. But we are lucky that we do have um, customers that are wanting it. And to my point before, because we have these babies that, you know, last year were in, you know, maybe six to twelve months. Now that Moms are looking for you know the next size
0: up so yeah awesome all right that is all the time that we have for today we have just been speaking to two wonderful entrepreneurs from both sides of the Tasman: kate lalak from sydney australia of cloud9 global and lucy wellman of Little Flock of Horrors from Auckland, New Zealand. So um, thank you so much to the both of you for dialing in and joining us today. Thanks so much. I really enjoyed my time. Thank you. The pleasure is all ours. Be sure to join us next time as we aim to have another interesting chat live here on dailystraits.com. Thank you.